the psalmist wrote, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. When Sarah Beth read those words, I wonder how many of us instantly thought of this room. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I will say that if that was your impulse, it makes sense. This room is lovely. On many a stressful day, I've stepped through those doors simply to receive the lovely stillness of this space. And it is no small thing to have a place that you associate with the abiding presence of God. Now, on the other hand, if the psalmist's reverie, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, did not make you think of this particular building, that also makes sense. Because whether we envision God as the mighty creator of the universe or a humble, itinerant rabbi in first century Palestine, or as an ineffable, transcendent spirit, it's odd to think of God having a fixed dwelling place. And yet this curious concept is as ancient as it is flexible. By dwelling place of God, some biblical writers meant the Ark of the Covenant danced into town by King David. Now, lots of other authors had in mind the magnificent Jerusalem temple built by King Solomon atop Mount Zion. And still others envisioned some throne room in the heavens. Now, as Christianity developed, the concept of God's dwelling place remained multifaceted. For some theologians, that dwelling place is Jesus Christ, the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For others, it is each believer, every one of us, a temple of God's Spirit. And yes, God's dwelling place has also been seen as the individual church as well as the church universal. Through all of this, the one vital consistency is the presence of God. And actually, there's one other consistency, the presence of God's people. Related to any dwelling place of God, there's some subordinate reference to God's people. Think about it, even for those heavenly throne room scenarios, you do find the occasional freaked out prophet. God persistently draws people to God's presence. And God graciously deigns to meet us in places. Whether on mountaintops or in Morningside, God uses places to inspire us and nurture us, shelter us and shape us in order to send us out from those places to participate in the inbreaking reign of God. No place can confine God, yet because we encounter God here, we know that God dwells here. And on this day, when our worship service will lead directly into the annual meeting in which we'll review the life of this congregation as we've shared it over the past year and look toward how we will continue to serve God in the coming year, I want to explore our relationship with God's dwelling place. 
Interestingly, the scripture selections that spoke of this subject come from an unexpected source. The not much noticed feast day called Presentation of the Lord. It occurs 40 days after Christmas, and Presentation of the Lord commemorates the day when Mary and Joseph, faithfully following Torah, brought the infant Jesus into God's dwelling place, the temple, to be named, circumcised, presented as one of God's people. The texts, the texts appointed for this generally overlooked liturgical festival include our psalm extolling God's dwelling place, along with the Bible's one account of what occurred on that long-ago ceremonial day. And so, come with me now as we delve imaginatively into what happened when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the dwelling place of God. And then we'll ponder how that story connects with us. This is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning with verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him into his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to the mother, Mary, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Anna. Anna is that person who knows all the stuff the person who knows where the spare key is, when we last sang some particular psalm, which parts of the sanctuary are warmest in the winter. 
Anna is as much a fixture of the place as the candlesticks are. Few folks can remember when Anna first came to town, maybe 15 years old and newly married to a man who knows how old. Of the tribe of Asher, Anna had been pulled from her ancestral home near the coast, some of the richest farmland in all of Palestine. Surely she was lonely, maybe she was bored, and lonely and bored can be a risky combination in a teenager. But Anna eased her homesickness by seeking out a place where she could serve God. She came here as a bride and then stayed here as a widow. Where else could she go? Since her husband had no brother, there was nobody else to marry her off to. Her dowry was gone, but God always welcomed her. And so it was to God's dwelling place that she came to find her purpose. You know her, inconspicuously doing whatever needs to be done, unpretentiously ministering to others in her church home. And her 24-7 devotion to God has given her a new identity. Anna is a prophet. God's word comes to her as she fasts and prays. And so when she sees Simeon, another person upon whom God's spirit rests, when Anna sees Simeon enter the temple, striding through those doors as if on a mission from God, Anna knows. She knows that this place that has sheltered her, body, mind, and soul, now shelters the Holy One who offers shelter to us all. Anna moves more quickly than she has moved in decades, joy radiating from her as she realizes she is suddenly in the presence of the Messiah, the one who is closer to God than even Moses was. Amidst the flood of praise spilling from her lips, Anna gives thanks that Moses was right when he prophesied to the tribe of Asher, your strength will equal your days. Anna has been granted strength that has brought her through tens of thousands of days to this day of days when she welcomes the holy child into the dwelling place that is his own house. As for Simeon, well, what matters, if what matters most to you is your own longevity, then when the Holy Spirit whispers to you, you will not see death until you have seen the Messiah, you might be tempted to avert your eyes from any potential Messiah sightings. Not Simeon. Simeon is looking. He's heard about the Messiah all his life, but all he's seen with his Messiah-attuned eyes are signs of the Messiah, signs that keep Simeon hopeful, keep him looking. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's a promise from God, there will be fulfillment from God. Years ago, they say, while studying sacred scripture, Simeon came across Isaiah's words, comfort, O comfort, console my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And as Simeon read that, the Holy Spirit lit up the room where he was sitting. 
A still, small voice sighed too deeply for words. Simeon's heart was strangely warmed, and he vowed to seek this comforter, this consoler of Jerusalem. That experience reoriented Simeon's entire existence. Instead of looking back to the old stories of his tradition, Simeon became entirely focused on what was yet to come. His righteousness derived not from Israel's past, but from its future, from the Messiah. You know Simeon. His faith, not in what's already done, but in what God is doing now. His visionary eyes open to God's new and startling day. Contagiously hopeful, Simeon nurtures the faith of young and old, teaching by sharing his faith through how he lives his life. And so now, 40 days after the birth, when the law requires the sacrifice of a lamb or two pigeons, the parents, as proud as they are poor, bring their newest generation into the sanctuary that has sheltered and nurtured so many generations. And Simeon, compelled by the Holy Spirit, breaks into a run. His joy is so pure that the young mother does not shrink from him as he lifts her baby, her God, from her arms. And there, in the dwelling place of God, God's promise to Simeon and to all of us is fulfilled. And Simeon offers his song of praise. And then there's us. Like Anna and Simeon and Mary and Joseph and the Christ child who upends their lives and all of ours, we are drawn to the lovely dwelling place of God by important matters of faith. Some of these I hear you articulate. I love the outreach. I love the worship. I need to learn. I need to serve. I want to grow in faith. I want my kid to grow in faith. I've been here since I was a kid. And some we can never put into words. We come here to be forgiven and to be fed we come here to receive comfort and to give care, to be challenged and to be changed. We come here to be sent out from here, empowered to carry with us something of what we encounter here, and then encouraged to come back for more. After today's benediction, when we receive the 2019 annual report and the 2020 budget, Hold fast to the truth that what makes any dwelling place of God lovely is infinitely more important than the numbers we will see. Numbers of dollars and members, numbers of classes and meal trains and fellowship hours and mission outreach opportunities, numbers I confess I care very much about. Even as I thank God, for the year we've just concluded. I pray we are never distracted from what makes this God's dwelling place. This and any church is God's dwelling place only because of God's abiding love for all creation. 
Even creatures as seemingly insignificant as a sparrow or a swallow's nestling or any one of us. Anytime we focus on this place, whether we're being practical and figuring out how to pay for a new roof, which this lovely place needs, and so I give thanks for our facilities committee, or we're being prideful and at risk of making indulgent choices, I pray we'll always remember that true church is about not a place, but the presence of God. Like Mary and Joseph and Anna and Simeon, as we come and go from here in our life with this dwelling place of God, may we know that what makes it lovely is God's presence here and the life which that presence creates within it and the faith which that presence sustains through it and the ministry which that presence empowers to flow forth from it. Amen.